You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With an ugly Week 8 win over the division rival Cowboys, the Eagles enter the bye in control of a struggling NFC East. This week, a sit-down with a member of the Eagles Hall of Fame and current NFL analyst Brian Westbrook. We chat about what adjustments could be made approaching the season's halfway point. We also talk about his personal life, being a full-time father, his horse ranch, and his passion for his youth foundation. Get ready to hear Brian tell it like it is on Gun on One. of Gun on One, the podcast out there at Gun is brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. Well, the Eagles have finally hit the bye week, and rightfully so. It has been one proverbial roller coaster ride. They did end the hated Dallas Cowboys on a Sunday night in front of a national audience, 23-9, but it was not as dominating as a lot of people had hoped it would be. Uh, so for this particular podcast, I brought in a former Eagle and a good friend of mine. Uh, he was a nine-year nine NFL player, eight years with the Philadelphia Eagles, two-time pro bowler, one-time first-team all-pro. Uh, he, he is also on a show on Fox Sports 1 called First Things First. Uh, he is the Brian Westbrook Show on 97.5 The Fanatic. He is also one of the hosts of the Eagles pregame show on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia, along with Devon Givens and my he is the one, the only. Number 36, Brian Westbrook. B. West, how you doing, man? Good afternoon, D. Gunn. I, I appreciate that uh, the introduction, man. I feel like every time we see each other, I want that type of introduction. Uh, that, that's going to make me feel good about myself. <laughs> You know it's not going to happen, right? That, that's, we, <laughs> of course not. We, we, we're way past those days, man. Um, you know, okay, so so the Eagles ha have won a couple games in a row. Uh, they get to the bye week. They're 3-4-1. Uh, they're in first place, dominating a, a pitiful division. But yet as I sit here, 
it feels kind of depressing. Yeah. And I thought it was I thought it was just me, but I'm listening to sports talk radio in Philadelphia. And man, people are embarrassed, irate, disgusted with this Eagles team. Do you feel the same way? You know, certainly we're not at the place where we wanted to be at. You know, we wanted to every single year, we want to dominate the division. We want to win all the games. We want to beat the Cowboys. We want to beat the Giants. And of course, we want to beat on Washington every single year. And, and the truth about the NFL. It doesn't happen like that every single year. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this is one of those years where we're dealing with injuries. We're dealing, obviously, with COVID. We're dealing with the lack of mini camps, just like everyone else. But it seemed like it's hit us even more because we had an older team and we were relying on some of our older guys to be a big mm -hmm. part of our, our team this year. And, and we need those guys to help us win. And unfortunately, a lot of those guys have been in and out of the lineup. Some of the guys like Alshon haven't even got back into the lineup. And so, you know, the Eagles as a whole, and I'm, I'm down on the team as well. Of course, we never want to be uh, midway through or midway through the season at three, four, and one. But I think at this point, as a fan base, as an analyst, we have to understand that the Eagles just need to weather the storm. And listen, there's been a lot of opportunities for there to be fights and struggles inside the locker room. We haven't heard that. There's been a lot of opportunities for the players to turn on Doug and start pointing the finger like they're doing in Dallas. We haven't heard that. But what we, what we have heard, even though we feel like we're better than the Giants, we feel like we're better than Dallas, what we have seen is that the team has rallied enough to win two games in a row. And really, if I'm Doug Peterson and if I'm in that locker room, that's what I'm hanging my hat on. I don't care what mm -hmm. the outside world is thinking about. I don't care about, you know, how we play, you know, when we talk about uh, externally. I don't, I'm not worried about that. All I'm worried about is making sure that the players that we have in our locker room, our nucleus, nucleus of guys, can go out there and get better every single day moving forward. That's the most important thing. And we got two wins in a row. Now we got to find a way to get three. But but B, are they getting better? I mean, they're winning games by the hair of their chinny chin chin. <laughs> they have they haven't they haven't had a dominant win all season long of the three wins that they've had. They have not. And you're absolutely right. That, you know. There have been times I've watched this team and we watch every game, of course. And I'm saying, I don't know that this team is any good at all. And the only reason we're even even in a conversation of making it to the playoffs is because of the right. division. So what I've seen throughout the season is a roller coaster ride. I've seen good games, good coaching games from Doug Peterson and Jim Swartz. I've seen terrible coaching games. I've seen good games or good quarters from uh, Carson Wentz. And I've seen terrible. Same thing with every position along the line. And inconsistency is the worst enemy of any organization. What you want to be in the NFL and professional sports in life, period, is consistent. What are you good at? Okay, go do that. Go be good at those things. And unfortunately for the Eagles, they've been good at the past game at times. And then in the past game has struggled. Carson has been good as far as uh, getting the ball out of his hands early. And then he struggled at decision making in other times. Mm -hmm. So. It's just been so inconsistent. It's really hard to put a finger on what this team is really good at. And that's what you should. The good teams, think about Kansas City. We know what they're good at. They're, they're attacking mm -hmm. the line of scrimmage. They're trying to get the ball down the field. They're trying to get guys open. They're going to run the ball well with the young rookie. They're going to bring Le'Veon Bell. Most importantly, they're going to be led by Patrick Mahomes. And because Andy Reid is going to lead that football team as far as getting uh, schemes and designs in the right place at the right time, we know that they're going to be a well-coached football team. We look at the Eagles conversely compared to that. 
I don't necessarily know that we know any of those things about the Eagles. There's questions <laughs> about the head coach, right? There's questions about the, our, our $100 million quarterback. Our offense yeah. has been in flux because of the injuries. Defensively, there's some questions there as well. Jim Swartz, of course. And so um, because of losing and not playing well, there's so many questions to be kind of thrown around. I'm just not quite sure where we're at in as far as the season goes. But I do know this, D-Gun. I know that yep. we won two games in a row. And, and that's yeah. a good start. And if I'm in that locker room, that's the only thing that I'm focused on. Let's talk about the $100 million quarterback you were just talking about here. Uh, against Dallas, he had two touchdown passes, but two more interceptions. Mm -hmm. He now has 12 touchdown passes and 12 interceptions in eight games. After that uh, Dallas game, he said, I'm not going to stop being aggressive. That's not how I'm wired. I just have to take care of the ball a little bit better because how many more fumbles did he have again against the Dallas Cowboys? So, I understand he wants to keep that aggressive demeanor, but in some ways, does it sound like he's being defiant in some ways? Well, I, I compare it almost to what I feel like we were getting from Ben Simmons and Brett Brown. Brett Brown was mm. saying, Ben, you have to shoot. You have to go to the basket and pull up a jumper. You yeah. got to shoot the three if you're wide open. And Ben basically is saying, yeah, well, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the yeah. way that I know how to. And there is a part of me that believes that Doug is saying the right things. Doug is saying, Carson, you, we're not afraid of punting the football. We're not afraid of actually taking a sack, just gobbling the ball up, holding on to the ball. We're not afraid of kicking a field goal. We don't need you to go win every single game for us. We don't need you to try to do it by yourself. We don't need to Brett Favre every single week. And here's the truth. Here's the, the difference between the great quarterbacks and other quarterbacks that are, that are lesser quarterbacks, good or just average. Mm -hmm. Just think about the game a couple of weeks ago where the Bills are playing the Chiefs up there in Buffalo. Rainy, soggy, wet. Mm -hmm. Andy Reid said, this is what I'm going to do. I know we have Patrick Mahomes, the best player in the NFL, MVP, reigning MVP. But what we're going to do, we're going to hand the ball off to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and we're going to allow him to control the ball. And Patrick Mahomes has did a good job of taking care of the ball, keeping his team on schedule. He didn't try to go win the game. He made the right throws at the right time. And that's what mm -hmm. Carson has to learn. He has to learn that there's much more to being a quarterback than just whipping the ball around all the time and trying to be this gunslinger. There's much more to that. There's a time and place for everything. Just like, for example, yesterday they played the, 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 the Cowboys and after watching the Danucci play, you, you, you didn't have to watch him for more than a series. You knew that he wasn't going to be enough for, to, to, to build that team and drive them down the field and beat us. You just knew that. And as a quarterback, Carson should have seen that. Now in his mind, it should trigger, okay, all I got to do is get the ball out of my hands, not necessarily mm -hmm. play it safe, but be smart. I don't have to take these chances. And unfortunately, Carson... Just like you mentioned, he doesn't have it in his blood, and I think that's a that's a um, that's a thing that can hurt you in so many different ways. And we see all the turnovers that this young man has had in the inconsistent play. It comes from that attitude when you think about it. B. West, how did he get so far removed? from the Carson Wentz of 2017, because as we look at this Carson Wentz now, he's getting worse instead of better. My, my biggest guess, D-Gun, is that at some point, right, as you develop and you grow, just think about your parents. Your parents are there to support you. 
your parents are there also to, to check you. And it's that checking you along the way that's going to allow you to grow and mature, but it's going to be going to grow in the right form and fashion. The person that was checking Carson Wentz early on in his career, they got rid of him. He got another job. Carson didn't like him. They couldn't, mm. couldn't see eye to eye, and they got rid of him. And now Carson has literally his peers around him, the guys that he mm. kind of grown up with, the guys. And, and I remember there were guys when, when I was a young player. Here's a great example. Brett Veach. When, when I was in the league, you know, obviously I played against Brett Veach in, in college. When he came to the Eagles, I had been there three or four years at that point. He was just kind of an assistant to an assistant to an assistant, right? He was just Andy's go go give me a sandwich type of guy, right? So just imagine me now, he's my running back coach. And I'm like, yo, I've been in this league longer than you've even been a coach. How am I listening to you? And there's a feeling that I get from Carson that he feels like he knows it all, that he's not going to adjust anything. Mm -hmm. And just imagine if you're a coach at that position. How do I teach him anything? How do I hold him accountable? Here's the hard part about sports and athletics, and it's more prevalent in basketball than in football. But when you talk about the higher, the upper echelons players, you're talking about guys are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars. There is a Mm -hmm. part of it. How how do you coach those guys? How do you tell them, hey, you need to do something different? Carson Wentz is probably saying, this is how I do. This is who I am. I'm not taking, taking that coaching. And if you think back, and we just take a, a, a stroll down memory lane, there mm. was a veteran, you know, on the team that I guess nobody has quite figured out who it was that said yeah. he, he, it was, you know, he didn't really take criticism very well, talking about Carson, that um, he, he wasn't as coachable. He wasn't, didn't want to listen to some of the veterans. And I don't know that everything he said was absolutely true, but you have to factor that into some of the things that we're seeing out here in the field. We're seeing things from week to week being the exact same. These are bad things. These are things that should be able to get coached Mm -hmm. out. If he's the type of player that we think that he is, that certainly deserves a franchise type of money, the face of the franchise, then he should be able to say, okay, I don't need to be that. And we've heard him say it. We've heard the coach say it. And we keep seeing the same things on the field. To me, that's a big, big time issue. He looks like Carson Wentz. He sounds like him. He walks like him. He takes the field like him, but he is not playing like the Carson Wentz we thought would be playing like in year five of his NFL career. And I don't care what sport you play. When you get four, five, six years into your career, we should automatically know what you are. No matter who they put around you, come hell or high water, no matter how good or bad it is, we should already know what we can expect from that individual. But I don't think we're ever going to see the 2017 Carson again, considering his mindset right now, looking at his mechanics, his individual decision-making, and where he is right now as a professional athlete. Yeah, we haven't seen him since 2017. We've seen glimpse. We saw a little bit of him the last four games of last season. Again, it was against some bad football teams, but he played well. The guys rallied around him. They played well. We've seen glimpse. We've seen quarters of it, even this season. You've seen a half. We've seen a couple quarters. We haven't seen four complete quarters of it. No. Here's the thing, and I'll ask you this, because I think it's important for us to understand what's going on in the landscape of the NFL. When you look at Joe Burrow, and and this is is hard to even say because I'm looking at the talent around these guys, and I think it's important to realize what they have. Joe Burrow and um, uh, the the kid out there in L.A., the Chargers, um, Herbert. Oh, Justin Herbert, Herbert. yeah. When I look at them, I'm saying – 
that's the type of quarterback that I want. We're staying tall in the mm-hmm. pocket, good decision making. Mm-hmm. He's going to be accurate. And they haven't quite won those games, but you can also see give him another couple years. Those are going to be quality throws, quality players. Mm-hmm. That's what we used to see in Carson. The one thing that's the major difference, and this is just completely honesty, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, 6'4, 215, 220, they can go get it. Great receivers out there in, mm-hmm. with the Chargers. Austin Eckler running back, good combination out there. You talk about Cincinnati, Tyler Boyd, you talk about T. Higgins, AJ Green, Gio Bernard, Joe Mixon, great weapons around them, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we got to call a spade a spade. And that's why some of those yeah. quarterbacks are doing well. You look at Carson Wentz. Now, Fogum has showed up well. I think Rager mm-hmm. is going to be a good player, but he needs some time yes. to develop. He need, probably needs an OTA in the offseason. He, he hasn't been there for the most of the time. Other than that, in Miles Sanders, when he gets healthy, I think he can mm-hmm. help, but he has to remain healthy. But, but we have to talk about the weapons around those guys compared mm-hmm. to Carson. And why does he feel this way, that he needs to be the savior? Probably because he looks around and like, okay, I don't know any of these guys. These are just people yeah. that we kind of put in place. And, and, and yeah. you kind of compare it to what those young guys are doing and what they have around them. And I think you'll see a stark difference between what you're seeing on the Philadelphia Eagles football team. How much of the play calling from Doug Peterson do you think is a problem? <laughs> I haven't been in love with some of the plays that Doug has called. Yeah. I haven't been in love with the rhythm. You know, I, one of the things I believe he always had was good a good feeling for the game. He could feel mm-hmm. it. And this year I haven't been in love with the rhythm and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that it's all on Doug. But when you when you have a situation where we talk about, we don't know who some of these guys are on the offense are. Neither yeah. does Doug. What, what do they do well? What do some of these offense alignment? What are what are they really good at? I, I don't know. And, and Doug, he gets paid to do it, and we we kind of watch the games. But my point is that you expected. To have Jason Peter, Jason Kelsey, uh, Brandon Brooks, Lane John, you expected mm-hmm. to have those guys. You know what they do good. We know that I can run to the right side and I can cut it back behind Jason Peters. Now we have uh, Maya Lada, we have Pryor, <laughs> we have Herbig, we have just a, a bunch of guys. O- that, Opeta. Yeah, Opeta. I, 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 yeah. these guys, I don't even know the name. I didn't, had no clue who they were before the season. And I'm not trying to right. diss these guys, but I mean, that's just the yeah. truth. Now, Doug Peterson, as a play caller, is trying to figure out what's their strong suits. And here's the hard part. You can normally figure those things out during mini camps and OTAs. We, right. we, we didn't have right. any of those things. And so once you get into training camp, now he has to find a way to get my 11 offensive starters ready for the first week. Same thing on the defensive side. And he didn't take probably as much time as he probably would have um, in the offseason getting to know these other guys. And now he's trying to figure out what these guys do good in the fire. I mean, as he's in the kitchen trying to put the ingredients in the pot, that's a hard thing for right. coaches to do. But but here again, D-Gun, coaches all around the league are doing it. It's happening. People have had COVID issues. People have a lot of yeah. injuries across the league. Doug Peterson has to do a better job, too. So I'm not sitting everything at Carson Wentz's feet. Doug Peterson has to play a part in it. And really, when you talk about a collective team, Everybody, everybody plays a part in wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. could be either during the week or that could be on game day. It, there has to be something and some input from everybody if you want to win a football game. 
I think I think this outside criticism and pressure, even though they're in first place, is starting to get to Doug a little bit. I mean, if you've listened to his press conferences the past few weeks, he's getting a little testy when people mm-hmm. ask certain questions, mm-hmm. valid questions, and he's snapping to people like like your old coach Andy Reid used to do. Yeah. You know, it was it's easy it's easy to talk to the media when you win it. You go win yourself a Super Bowl. Go win yourself a couple of playoff games. It's easy to, to talk to the media because it's softball questions. It's, hey, man, how's it going? And what do you think you need to do more of? And what, But now yeah. you're getting the questions like, okay, why aren't you winning? Why aren't things changing? Why am I seeing the same Carson Wentz every single week? And you're the head coach and you're in charge of changing it. We want to mm-hmm. know the answer there. And so, of course, he's getting a little testy. And there's a part of me that believes that Doug can't figure it out either. That some of the mm. things... So, so this is what happens in NFL. You've been around the league long enough to know. Yep. There are times where you're at practice. You can practice one thing one way every single day of the week. And then you get in the game and you just do something different. And the coaches are scratching their head like, oh, timeout. Um, we practiced this five times this week. And before this week, we practiced it every single day. Mm-hmm. And you did something totally different. There's a part of me when I watch Carson and I hear Doug and I hear Carson talk after the game, I'm saying, you know what? Carson is just doing whatever the heck he wants to do because this ain't what they practice. This ain't, this is, it was a play early on in the season that ended up being intercepted. I want to say they were trying to get the ball to Deshaun. I can't remember exactly who it was. Mm -hmm. Carson rolled out and it was a backside throw in the end zone. And Doug said, listen, that, that throw literally is not in any part of the progression. We're just trying to get a safety to move with that backside player. And Carson decided to whip around and try to get it in there. Through it late, ended up being an interception in the in the end zone. That's not something that we taught in practice. Matter of fact, in practice, all the times that we call this play, we say go to one, go to two. If those two ain't open, maybe go to the three and then throw it away or run it. Carson right. is just ab-living doing his own thing. And so Doug is like, well, time, I ain't coached that. And, and so <laughs> I, I think that's what's happening there part of the time out there on the football field. And again, I've, I've had these arguments on Twitter because people think that I'm picking on Carson. I'm not picking on Carson, but my expectation for a franchise quarterback has not changed. And, and it won't change. It won't change from, from, from uh, uh, the player that we saw in 2017 to today. There has to be a certain level of play to be a franchise quarterback. And when you pay guys, that's the expectation. I expect him to perform that way. I expect him mm-hmm. to make the people around him better. I don't expect him to be the issue. I expect him to be the answer. And unfortunately, we're not seeing that consistently enough. And people are like, well, you're comparing, you're trying to take, take, take up for McNabb. I'm like, no, I'm analyzing what I see and I'm giving you my response. I want to see Carson be good. I, I'm, I'm vested in the Eagles winning football games. I want them to win football games in order for them to do it convincingly like they should have done last night in the last mm-hmm. week or so. He has to play much better. And we have not seen the best Carson Wentz uh, this season. Now, I agree with you. Injuries have taken a toll on this team in terms of how uh, Doug might want to orchestrate his offense game in and game out. But when you play a Dallas defense that's like a sieve, this was a defense that has set a record for giving up 20 or more points in six consecutive games in the first half. In the first half, six consecutive games, and your offense goes out there you get seven points in the first half against a defense that's given you the game. You have 222 yards of total offense against a defense that's given up almost 35 points a game 
and you only had 15 points as an offense. So something's wrong between the play calling and this affinity Doug has for the two-point conversions is driving me nuts. So something's wrong. We, we analyze the quarterback. We analyze the play calling. But I think as a collective unit, it has to be a, a cohesive mindset in terms of getting a job done every time you put the ball in your hands. Just like I said when we talked to 97.5, the Fanatic, before the Giants game, if you let a Giants team stick around and feel they can beat you, all of a sudden they're going to look around and say, hey, we're in this game we're not supposed to be in. And they were one pass away from us talking about a 1-5-1 Eagles team instead of a 2-4-1 team. This Dallas Cowboy team had a lead on the Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field and you had to scrap tooth and nails just to get by this team. So something is wrong with the collective mindset. We hone in on the head coach. We hone in on the quarterback because those are the two most visible figures on a football team. But there's something wrong with the overall collective mindset in terms of having, I, I, I don't want to use the term killer mentality, but I can't think of a better term right now. So I'm going to say killer mentality. Well, you know, it's, I'll tell you this, it's hard to have the killer mentality. And and this is one of the good things about NFL players as fans, as analysts, at times we can just be showing my bleeding green heart on and I'm wearing that on my sleeve. Right. Yep. As players, you go to practice every day. You'd be like, oh, you know what? That guy that's now is our starter. He's not that good. Period. <laughs> you see it, right? And then, and then, but there's other times where you say, you know what? Well, we can work. Or we can work around him. He's good enough to work around. And for this football team, we talk about that killer mentality. Once you start thinking, well, you know what, man? We got five guys that aren't good that are playing. Your mindset yeah. changes just a bit. And I, right. I, I hope that's not the case. But I also believe that this team, um, just talent-wise, just isn't good, man. And I, I, mm. I'm comparing it. I'm not comparing it to any of the, the two teams that we just played because I think the Cowboys have talent offensively, um, even though they play like slop, too. Obviously, a big part of that was right, quarterback. Right. Same thing with Giants, who played better than the Cowboys, in my opinion, um, two yep. weeks ago. Um, but I'm comparing it to the best teams in the NFL. We don't have any of those components. We don't have a strong running game, even though Boston Scott, and, and we, we talked about it in the pregame show. Yesterday. Yeah. I thought he showed up well yes. yesterday. He showed that he yep. can be a big part of this team as far as moving the ball. Quite honestly, there should have been 25 carries to Boston Scott in that run game yesterday. Yep. Um, so I think he played well. I think the offensive line did an okay job. I was good. To, I was glad to see Jason Peters at least finish the game, even though there were some times I'm like, oh, <laughs> there it is, there it is. But I'm glad he when he went down late in the first half. Yeah, when he went down. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I think he'll come back stronger after the bye. I'm glad, personally, that Lane's set out because now I know he'll have a full two weeks, two and a half weeks off, so he'll he'll get back a little bit stronger. So I, I truly believe we have seen some of the hardest weeks of our Philadelphia Eagles schedule because of the injuries, because of the bad play. And now we go down the stretch of these next eight games, and we got a tough three game. Uh, a, a series there. We have Green Bay, Seattle, and New Orleans, New Orleans Arizona, and then Arizona, Cleveland. Like four games. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. There, there's a four or five game stretch there where it's going to be tough, and we're going to have to have things go our way. And I'll tell you right now, if we play anything like we played last night against mm-hmm. the, the, the Cowboys, we'll we'll lose five in a row very easily, very quickly. In a couple of those games, 
Cleveland. I want to say Arizona, but they've been playing well. We should certainly yeah. win those games. If we could find a way to steal one of those other games. And my, my goal here is to win three out of the next those next five games. If we can do that, um, you know, then, then we got a chance of doing something down the stretch. And we'll have some of our, our players back uh, at some point down the stretch. You were talking about Boston Scott, and you and I have talked about him for a couple of weeks now. And I feel that this young man should be able to get at least 25 touches a game on an average, 25 touches a game. His low center of gravity and his body type at 5'6", 203 pounds, he is a stout individual, very quick. So he doesn't take a lot of direct shots like a bigger running back would take. And then when you see him get the football in his hands, whether it's on a screen game or the running game, he's bouncing off people like a pinball. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, we don't know when and for how long we can ever count on Miles Sanders and if Miles is not in there, I think you this guy could be a, a workhorse. A lot of people say, Boston Scott, I'm telling you, he came out of the gate against Dallas. He was averaging seven, eight yards a carry. All of a sudden, they abandoned the run. But I want to see him get more touches. Ride that kid right now. You, you know, there was a theory that he could only play good against the Giants. We saw what he did last season and then yeah, you know, last yeah. week against the Giants. But I, I truly believe that this kid has everything it's going to take for him to have an impact on the team. Um, 20, 25 touches a game. Who else are you going to get the ball to right now? Who is the yeah. other person that you're saying, we're going to take the ball out of this guy who has performed and helped us win and put it in his hands? Who is the other guy that yeah. you'd rather have the ball in his hands? Boston can help you in the, the pass game. He can help you in the run game. And this is probably what I actually like the most about Boston Scott. Mm -hmm. Early in the season, he, he was playing a little bit. And he was just missing blitzes. I mean, just missing them. And he wasn't in the right place. His eyes weren't looking at the right guys. He wasn't checking. And it's simply right. put, I already know Deuce Staley got on his butt because Deuce is a stickler for blitz pickup. And so I know Deuce yeah. got after him a lot. Um, he was receptive to that. He learned and did a better job of picking up the blitz. Now he has better for, for fundamentals. He knows exactly who he needs to be looking at. He took the time and learned those things. We already know that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. We saw the catch against the Giants. Huge catch. You could barely even see the ball coming in. Huge catch diving yeah. in the end zone. Great catch. We saw the screen game. We talked about that in pregame yep. um, yesterday. Yep. His ability to affect the game in the screen game and catching the ball out of the backfield, breaking tackles down the field. Last night, we saw another element. We saw his ability to run hard in between the tackles, mm -hmm. be patient, mm -hmm. pick your lane, set your blocks up. That's what you want from a starting running back. That's exactly the type of thing that I expected out of Boston Scott. I see this young man getting better as the season goes on. Remember, we and I'm bringing you back to the conversation we started with Carson Wentz. He's smart. He's a guy that uh, yeah. uh, can should be able to learn. He should be a sponge. And there are times where he just is reluctant to learn these things, reluctant to take the type of criticism. You shouldn't be that way. In the NFL, you always have to be learning. Boston Scott is one of those guys that is learning. He's still young. You know, he's a different situation. He's not the franchise guy. He's not a big money guy. He's a free agent type of guy, but he's still learning. He's still hungry. He wants to get better. And at, at those are the types of guys that you want to coach and that you want to be around. I, I'm glad that he's here in Philadelphia. You know, beyond this season, the Eagles have a lot of decisions to make, obviously because of cap situation. And they've played a lot of players handsomely. Um, but when you look at this team, potentially – uh, going on a youth movement in 2021. One area that I feel pretty good about on this team right now is a young core of wide receivers. When you talk about a Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward, Jalen Rager, mm -hmm. once we can get to see an extended body of work of Jalen Rager, I'd like the direction of 
you know, we can criticize Howie Roseman all day long, but I like the direction of this young core of receivers. We don't know what Quez Watkins is yet. Haven't seen enough body of work from him yet. Uh, John Hightower has some work to do yet. But I, th- I, I think in, that, in, that, in those terms, the receiving group in terms of youth and talent and versatility is, is on course right now. These young guys have played well, um, you know, with any young person. Same way when I looked at myself, I had a, a decent couple years early on, but there was a lot of work to do. And these guys still have to continue to perfect their craft and get better. And I think that relationship with Carson that they could potentially build will continue to grow. But, but Carson has a great relationship with Fogum. You see the confidence that he has throwing the ball to him in any situation. Um, I, I think that relationship will continue to grow with Rager. Obviously, Greg Ward has been a guy that even going back to the last season, someone that he has confidence that can get open and get the ball to him. You're right. Quez Watkins has to do a better job of getting involved when he's mm-hmm. healthy and things like that. And Hightower has to catch a dog on ball. Um, if you get yeah. open, you can be as fast as guy in the world. But if you can't catch the ball, um, it's all for not. So I, I think they have some ways to go. But I certainly think that they're all pleasant surprises. I mean, we come into the season, none of those guys, except for probably Rager, were even on the, the the radar as far as someone that we should expect a lot of things from, maybe Greg Ward a little bit, but we were hoping that Rager, Deshaun Jackson, and Alshon could be helping us win football games. All these new guys, Bogum and Hightower and, and Watkins, they weren't mm-hmm. necessarily the guys that we were going to count on uh, full time, but I, I think those guys need to continue to step up, and this may be a perfect situation for them. I don't know that Carson does well with bigger personalities at the receiver position. I think he does well with guys that he can lead, guys that he can kind of point in the right direction. And so maybe these young guys are just those types of guys that he can be successful with. But again, it's going to take a lot of a lot better play from Carson. And it's going to take a lot of work from these young receivers as well. We hear a lot of people screaming for Howie Rosen, Roseman to be fired every day of the week. Um, when you look at the current state of this team, and you can't obviously uh, factor in uh, injuries, especially the multitude of injuries this, yeah. this team has had. Uh, we, we have broken down and criticized his drafts because they have been inconsistent through the years. Mm-hmm. But for this particular year, is the, is the criticism in, in a lot of ways unfair towards Howie, or is it just? Well, I think it's just, and Howie's job is to get a great starting roster and to fill in with some some depth behind it. Um, I, I think there was a huge oversight and dependency on older players. You can't do that in this league. What happens with older players is that they get hurt more often, and when they get hurt, they stay out longer. Right. And that's, a, I mean, listen, I, I experienced, I, I lived through it, so I know it. Um, so that, that I think that was a, a, a negligent point on Howie's part. And that wasn't just this year. I think over the years, you have to build depth. You have to see where your roster's going. And at some point, you got to unfortunately have that, that uncomfortable conversation saying, hey, man, we loved you. You've been a great player for us, but we got to move on. And yeah. those are always hard conversations, but it's just part of the game. The best teams do it. The best coaches do it. And so this team has to be able to do it as well. Um, I, I think how we can do a better job drafting. You have to draft for, you know, and I know a lot of people are always like, take the best player available. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm yeah. T- take the best player available at a position that you really need. We needed more right. weapons offensively. We needed more depth in the offensive line. Um, we needed some more secondary. I mean, we need, we had some needs. Did we need another quarterback? No. <laughs> Probably not. But 
that's the way we went in the second round. So I, I just think how we can do a better job. And, and listen, it, it's been my experience with Howie that he's been a realist, a realist, even with the, some of the decisions that he made, that he can look at this situation and say, okay, we probably could have used a different situation, a different pick um, in, in, in that place at the time. And we probably could have used whoever we would have picked at that point to help us win some games this season. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm already tired of the Jalen Hurts experiment. I mean, that's, that's, I, I'm at a point now, stop putting him in. It, it doesn't work. You have one good play, and the other plays blow up. Yeah. How many times have they had to use a timeout because they don't know exactly what they, they want to do? I, I'm tired of the Jalen Hurts experience. Well, see, the, here's the problem. When you have a young franchise quarterback, you don't need that. You just don't. No. You, you don't take him out the game. He's not Drew Brees. Drew Brees is 41 years old. Drew Brees can't throw the long ball. There's just plays that Drew Brees just can't make. He ain't running around. And I would think that, you know, a young Carson Wentz can make all those plays. And what happens when you take them out of the game, they lose their rhythm. That's just just a fact. And this guy, this kid, Jalen Hurts, is put in a compromised position because he's coming into the game with absolutely no rhythm. And the defense, and also um, probably even bigger than that, than the rhythm side of things, is that the defense – has a big time clue in what he's going to do. They just do. It's only so many things you can do from that that shotgun, pistol type of formation. It's only so many things you can do. So as sooner or later, they'll figure it out. And, and you know, I think he threw a good pass last night, got a completion. But I mean, other than that, what else are you going to do? And to this point, the experiment hasn't seemed to work. But if you're Doug Peterson and Hobby Roseman drafted a quarterback in the second round, and you were told to get him ready for a potential take-some-heel type of role, Right, you, you follow the instructions. So now the bye week comes to me at the most opportune time. I mean, this team is bit, beat up. Uh, they have struggled just to get to this point, this halfway point. Fortunately for them, um, they are at the top of the heap in the NFC East instead of the bottom of the heap. Uh, a lot of players need to heal up mentally as well as physically. So I will ask you this. From a player's perspective, what should these guys be doing and thinking about over the next couple of weeks as they get ready for what's going to be a very difficult stretch run? Well, you know, for the older players, it's it's all about rehabbing and rest. (laughs) That's what what the five week is all about. Get off your feet. Allow your legs to get back underneath them. Um, You know, you may do a little workout here and there, but nothing too strenuous. You want to make sure that when you come back, you got an eight-week run. And you need the best eight weeks possible because, again, you're trying to make it into the playoffs. For the younger guys, go back, study the film, understand what your weaknesses are. The one thing that the coaches will do is self-scout. They're going to go back and look through every single film, every single game, Mm -hmm. every single play and say, okay, here's our tendencies. On first down, we always run this formation and this play and then we run this play. We got to break that tendency because defenses start to to, to key on those types of things. If you're a young guy, you got to look back at your game and say, okay, I got to be completely honest with myself, which I'm, I'm going to tell you, D-Gun, is a lot of these young guys, older guys too, don't want to do. Yeah. They don't want to be like, okay, mm-hmm. well, this this part of my game is bad. I need to change it. They're always like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, that's not always yeah, the case. Yeah. And if you want to get better, you got to be completely honest with yourself. You got to be able to say, I'm willing to help uh, change things so that I can be a better player. And I, I, that's what I would do if I was a young man. What part of my game needs to be worked on? If, if, is it me? Is it my release if I'm a receiver? If it's my lane and my 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 depth and my patience if I'm a running back, my vision, things like that. 
all these things, you had the ability to go back, watch the tape, understand what it is, and then go out there and be a better a player the second half of the season. Okay, what about a coaching staff? From Doug Peterson to Jim Schwartz to the entire staff, how should they be spending this week and next week getting ready for the next game? Well, they've got some tough games coming up. We talked about that four or five game stretch. I'm self-scouting, of course, like I just mentioned, but I'm also looking ahead. Like, okay, what are the things that these defenses and offenses do well? What are the things that they do not, not very well? And we have to attack those weaknesses. So I'm, I'm, I'm self-scouting, of course, but I'm also looking ahead to try to get a, a head start on what we need to do for these next couple games upcoming because, again, our whole goal is to win the, win the conference, win the division. And we need to go out there and make sure that we can do everything that we can win the division. And in order to do that, we're going to get, have to get better at every single position. That includes head coach and, and coordinator as well. Um, I love having former players on my podcast. I had Chris Long on earlier. And the reason being because a lot of you make the transition from ex-player to the media side. So you go mm -hmm. from one side of the mic to the other. So how difficult is it for you to be honestly critical when you have to be? Because even though you're no longer playing the game, you're still part of that fraternity. Because I've heard so many ex-players say, you know, Deegan, I've had players tell me, man, I thought we were boys. I can't believe you said this about me. But how difficult or how easy is it for you to, to critique now? Well, I think earlier on it was a little bit more difficult. But, I, you know, I, I tell players all the time, and I, I've heard guys say, man, come on, why are you always getting on me? And my answer would be pretty simple. If I'm watching the tape and I've played yeah. football for a very long time, so I, I got a pretty right. good idea what I'm looking at. And I'm watching the tape, and I know when you're doing right or wrong, it's nothing personal. I'm just going to shoot you straight. But quite honestly, if this is the first time you're hearing it, then you're doing yourself a disservice and your coach is doing yeah. you a disservice. I'm just shooting mm. you straight. I ain't never, I'm never going to, I'm not taking anything personal out on you. I'm just telling people what I see. And I would tell you the same. If you called and asked me, I would tell you the same thing. When Boston Scott yeah. calls me and says, you know, how do you think I did? Well, Boston, you missed this blitz pickup. You missed this hole. You were too yeah. fast on this run. But here are the three plays you did great. And I tell them the same way because that, that's, I mean, how are we going to get better if I can't be completely honest with you? If you want me to kiss your butt, I'm not, I'm just not that guy, but I'm going to yeah. shoot you straight. And hopefully along the way, you'll learn something or say, you know what? Westbrook was right about what he said. Now I need to go fix that. That's that self-scouting that I think every player needs to be able to do. Um, one, of, one of the strengths of my game was looking at the film and saying, okay, you did. You had four good plays. You had 24 right. bad plays. How do I fix right. those 24 bad plays? How do I become a better player? And the only way to do that is to be open and honest with yourself. And as an analyst, that's what I try to do. I don't play favorites. I don't I don't try to, you know, I, I probably do play favorites a little bit to the guys that I know that I talk to all the time. But I shoot them. Right. I shoot them straight as well. Like, listen, I, you know, I probably talk about them more, but I also give it to them, you know, live and direct because I want them to know and how to better themselves and you have a better game the next time out. Mm -hmm. You know, has your career on my side of the microphone strained relationships now? Not really. You know, not really. You know, as I go through things, you know, I've, I've had guys say that, you know, they weren't happy with what I'm saying. But when I explain it to them, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, from my view, listen, this is my job yeah. now. You know, my, my job is to not be your number one fan. My job is to right. analyze the film, say right or wrong, do something different and move on. That, 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 that's yeah. my job. I remember I got a call 
And, you know, Rod McLeod went to my high school, right? And so we're mm-hmm. pretty decent friends. And I, there was a game last year. The Eagles were losing big. The defense got a turnover. They were down at the link. They got a turnover. And I, I, I see the defense all running down to the end zone to do their little celebration. And I'm like, what is that? First yeah, thing I get, yeah. first thing I get an opportunity on Twitter. Blah, 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 you know, my comment was easy. Why are the why is the defense celebrating as if they haven't been watching the game? Offensively, they've been terrible. Defensively, this mm-hmm. is their good play, the first good play all game long. And so after I put that that, that on Twitter and I got some back and forth with a, a couple of people that follow me, uh, Rodney sent me a message. He's like, man, uh, why do you say that about the defense? And I said, well, because I don't think y'all should be celebrating. Y'all down right. about 21 points and and he, he explained this out. His, his point was, I mean, and I understood his point. Well, we're trying to bring some energy to the team. We're trying to bring some energy to the game. We're just trying to get things going. Right. Taking, I understand. I, I get it. I just don't agree with it. <laughs> I understand. Right, right, right. I, I just don't agree with the point. So um, it, it's, for me, it's no love lost. I, I still love these guys. I still love Rodney and everything mm-hmm. that he does for the team. I, I point out when he plays well. But at the same time, you know, how do I get my check? My check right, comes right. from being open and honest and analyzing what I see. That's how I get paid. There's so much more to Brian Westbrook than former NFL player and, and current media player. I want to talk to you about one of your passions, which is, and I've known about and we've talked about periodically, is that you breed quarter horses, and you've done this for quite some time now. How did you get into all of that? Well, you know, you know, it's funny. So playing in the NFL is just a stressful sport. Like, you know, it's what have right. you done for me lately? Um, how do you, you can have a great game this week, and if you have a bad game next week, then you suck, right? And so, right, um, right. as a player, it's just super stressful. And so one week, um, must have been our bye week, I went back to Maryland with my hometown, and I was hanging out with a friend of mine. He was like, man, listen, my neighbor has horses. You want to go ride a horse? I'm like, yeah, I want to go ride a horse, of course. <laughs> and so we get over there, and he's like, they show me this big, pretty horse. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to ride the horse. So they didn't tell me anything. They said, all right, this is where you go. Go right, go left, and you want to stop, just pull back. And that was literally the three-second instruction it. that they gave me. So I'm like, all right, cool. I thought these guys had my best interest in mind, as it turned out they didn't. So I get up on this horse, and this joker, this horse just takes off 300 yards, just wide open running. And again, this- He didn't tell you that a horse has a mind of his own, did he? They didn't mention any of that. I ain't had you no know, clue about that. So Now, this is in the middle of a season, right? So, I mean, obviously, there's oh, no craziness going on. I want to be healthy. I don't want to fall off no dog or horse. And so, luckily, I stayed on, on the back of the horse. Um, and after that, after they calmed me down and, and <laughs> uh, dropped my pants out, no, um, we went on, like, a two-hour trail ride. And it was so peaceful. It was so relaxing. It, it, it kind of, I, mean, I was a nature guy already. It allowed me to be one with nature and just be out there, just kind of out there enjoying the horse, enjoying the woods and things like that. And immediately after that, I called my realtor and was like, I want to buy a horse farm. And, mm-hmm. and if you know anything about a realtor, they always try to make a sale. Oh, she, yes. She found one. She found one immediately. And, you know, what, what ended up happening was I uh, went to go see the farm and I told the owner I'm interested in buying it. I said, the problem is I have no clue. I've never ran a tractor. I've only ridden a horse a handful of times. I don't know how to do any of these things. I don't know what they eat. All these different things that you know over the years, I have no clue. Mm-hmm. He said, well, this is what I'm going to do. He said, if you want to buy this farm, you come work for me for six months straight. You get here at six in the morning. You leave at seven, eight o'clock at night. And six I work, in the morning? Yeah, every single day. 
And that whole off season, I was there early and I worked all dog one day. I probably think I left to go work out and things like that and came right back. But I cleaned the stalls. I, I, I put up fences. I used the bobcat. I used the lawnmowers. I used the different things. I learned about the horses. I studied and I, I just fell in love with the horses even more. That's when I, then I bought mm. the farm. Um, even at that point, I still didn't even own a horse. So I was, I didn't, wasn't even riding. I was just hanging out with this guy all day long. And he was such a good man. Um, he ended up teaching me so much and I just fell in love with it. And over time, it was one of those things where it was just like, you know, you fall in love with it. I, I, in my mind, initially it was a business, but right, come, to, right. come to find out it's not really a business. It's more of a hobby because um, <laughs> you barely make any money. But so now, you yeah. know, you know, 15 years later, we breed, we breed quarter horses. Uh, you know, we, we try to find the best stud horses, stallions in the country. And we have a, a, a nice group of brood mayors, you know, mayors that, you know, their main job is to have babies. And we, 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 you know, we make them with those stud horses and we try to have the best babies that we possibly can to go on to be show horses. And so it's, it's worked out well. It's kind of a, uh, a labor of love for us. And my dad's involved with the business. He's at the farm every single day. Um, he, he enjoys it. He loves it. And, you know, the biggest and most important thing um, for me was this spring and summer. Uh, obviously, we were dealing with COVID like everyone else. Um, luckily for us, and, and, you know, it's a blessing to have the farm at this point. Uh, my family is able to go to the farm and enjoy and just enjoy nature, right? And my daughter and my wife, my oldest is seven, uh, they began taking horse lessons. And I literally oh, wow. watched them fall in love with horses the same yeah. way that I fell in love. And so I'm watching them do it. And I, I wasn't even around. Most of the time I'm around there putting up fences and doing work, cutting down trees and stuff like that, me and my son. And I would just go back and watch them and the joy that comes over their face when it's time to go to the lesson and the joy that I see when I, when I see them riding, it's been really, really cool. Um, it's, it was, it's, it's been really been a blessing to watch them do that. I'm still trying to visualize Brian Westbrook driving a tractor. I, I'm still, I'm still trying to get this hey. in, in my mind, but, but what, what differentiates a, an exceptional quarter horse from an average one? I mean, obviously when they're a fold, you know, some people can just see that's, that's, that one potentially is good. How do you determine that? Well, it, it takes time, but I mean, usually you'll see their their body. What does their body look like? What's their body structure? Are their legs straight? Are you know, is, is their mm. front legs shorter than the back leg? How big is their rear end? Um, it's almost like when you look at running backs. Now, most running backs, you know, seventy five percent of the running backs look almost the same: nice big shoulder, thick neck, nice legs, right. you know, thick legs, right. things like that. But then you may have an outlier like Derrick Henry. He's six four, two fifty. How, how yeah. do you make a guy like that? So. Most of the time, you can see by their body structure, the way that they move. Are they agile? Are they are they are mm -hmm. they able to be athletic? I mean, because this is an athletic sport, can they do those smaller things? I mean, those things. A, a quarter horse, in my mind, is more like a um, like a running back. You know, they're the running back in my mind of the horse world. They can do a little bit of everything. They're agile. They're smart. They're fast. They're quick. And then you think about the the. Uh, the thoroughbreds, they're more like the receivers. They're running. They're mm -hmm. running horses, longer legs, they're taller, you know, different type of bodies type, you know. And so um, you can kind of, you know, if you see enough of them um, over time, you're able to kind of get a good, gra good grasp on what they look like. And you look at all those things as they're growing up. And then eventually, if, if their performance matches up with their structure and their body type, then you probably have a pretty good horse. 
Now, I, I, when you're on the farm, are you walking around wearing a straw hat with a straw hanging out of your mouth and stuff like? Are you that country? Are you that backwood country? You know, I, I throw on my cowboy hat usually when I'm riding or something like that, or we're going to do something where people are expected to wear a cowboy hat. Most of the time, I got a baseball cap on. Um, we, we don't have no straw. We ain't put no straw, no toothpicks in our mouth like that. But most of the time, we're, we're you know, we're me and my dad. We work so doggone much. It's it's funny because we yeah. teach we teach the kids. We, you know, we teach kids down there as well. Like, listen. This is kind of like life. You know, 80% of the time we're working, putting up fences, cutting grass, mowing the, mm. you know, bush hogging, taking care of the horses, cleaning up stalls, wiping the horses down, brushing them, things like that. And then the other 20%, you got a choice to make. Do you want to go ride the horse or do you just want to chill and just go look at them? And for us, <laughs> a lot of the time, we end up just looking at the horses because we're like, right. man, we feel so exhausted. But when you think about it, that's kind of like life. I mean, you work hard, you work your butt off every single day. And as much yeah. as we work, we would take two weeks of vacation a year. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. I mean, on an average. Three weeks, yeah. or, four, or a month, maybe. 80% of the time we're working. So that's what we're te- I'm teaching my kids this all the time. Like, listen, we all want to enjoy ourselves. And hopefully we'll ha- all have time to do it. But the work comes first. The hard work, the dedication, the discipline comes yeah. way before any of that partying and vacationing. Yeah. We got to do that step, that step first. And, and that's the key to horse and horsemanship. But also a key to life from my perspective. Um, I remember a few years back, and you have done this periodically. You've invited me down to fish on the farm. Been waiting but yet for every you. time we get, but every time we get close, you know, you find an excuse not to fish. I think you worried about getting a, a Wisconsin butt whipping. You know, I'm from the I'm from the great state of Wisconsin. I think you worried about that Wisconsin butt whipping. I'm just throwing it out there. Hey, anytime you want to come down to that farm, we got about a. Uh, 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 you know, a quarter, not probably about three quarters of an acre of a pond, uh, crappy, yeah. bluegill, bass, oh, catfish. You talking my language? Whatever oh. you want to do, and 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 I'm willing. I'm one of these guys that I'll tell you where the best spots are at, and I'll just I'll fish yeah. because as no, you, know, you won't, no, you won't. Is a skill. It just, it just, yes. you can be lucky and throw the worm, man, and hope for the best. Right, right. This is a skill. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know that you have that skill. I see the fish. What? I've, I've seen you holding a fish. I've never seen you what? fish. So I'm just saying. What? I'm, I'm just I've saying. never seen you fish. I wonder if you're one of these bougie types that have people bait your hook for you <laughs> and then take the fish off because you don't want to touch a live fish wiggling around. Oh, man. That are, you, even, are you one of those types? Not even close to me, man. Come on. I'm, I'm the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you you were talking about your, your seven-year-old, and I know your seven-year-old is one of three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, your kids are, what, seven, three, and one now? Seven, three, uh, and one, th- yep. Okay, so there was a time when Brian Westbrook, all he had to do was take care of Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook had his money, his Those cars. Those the good days. He, you know, the good days. <laughs> so now Brian Westbrook is domesticated. He has a wife now. He has three kids. Three kids. What is domesticated Brian Westbrook like? Man, I, I just told you. Those I noticed the, you hesitated. Yeah. I noticed you hesitated. I got to be smart what I say because I know behind this wall over here, my wife is over here. I got to be, I got to say things with a little coop here. But no, I, you know, I, I'll tell yeah. you, I love being single without kids, but this has been yeah. the best part of my life. My daughter's seven, my son is three, and my, my youngest daughter is one. Just watching them grow, seeing the different things that, um, they're able to do it. I know you have kids and grandkids, so you you kind of reliving yeah, it through yeah. the grandkids. Which which and I'll tell you this: my parents, my mother in particular, she was strict, had yeah. no problem. And you know, I'm from the, I'm I'm a little bit older, so we were able to get spanked yeah. back then. She had no oh, problem yes. spanking, right? 
And, and I'm glad that I did get those spankings. Now, when I see my parents with my kids, I'm like, I don't, I don't recognize you. And when I see I you with your grandkids, I don't know what you were with you, like with your kids, but I, I can just tell yeah. that you're a spoiler. You're the worst. <laughs> the grandparents are the worst. Because as a parent, you put all this structure in line for these kids to do the right thing. And next thing you know, they yeah. just go to the grandparents. Oh, you, oh, they can have candy if they want to at breakfast time. They can That's eat right. ice cream for lunch. I'm like, That's right. Uh, where were you at when I was a kid? So um, it's it's being a parent has been, you know, one of these dream come trues for me. Um, yeah. I'm one of these guys where I believe that playing football was for a certain time period of my life. After playing right. football, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a wife. I wanted to have kids and watch them grow and teach them the things that I've learned and enjoy yeah. them. And and luckily for me, I found a, a, an awesome wife that holds me accountable, that that does uh, for me better than I can do for myself. And and and, I, and she's given me three kids that certainly have pushed my buttons every single day. Um, right. They, they right. are learning their lessons every single day. Oh yes. So a a you know it's a mental game every single day watching them trying to outthink them as they grow. Um, it's yeah. been again, I, I love it. I'm super super excited about it. But the Brian Westbrook now is solely all about the kids and and whatever mm-hmm. that is. And and you know as a parent, you know this that takes many different roles. You're a counselor. You're a gym teacher. You're a school teacher. You are yeah. you are uh, the punching bag. You are doing everything all wrapped in one. And as a parent, it's been a joy. It's been challenging, but it also is going to be worth it in the end. So I'm super excited about it. I think being a parent is the most difficult job there is. When my, you know, when my kids were little, we had three kids in less than four years, and so they were very close in age. And you know, of course, I dragged my wife all over the country, moving to different places. And um, for the most part, I'd be at work and she was at home raising three kids. So that there was a, times when she would say. I would. I just need a mental break. I want to go to the mall, uh, yep. you know, go to church and hang out with friends and stuff like that. She goes, "The kids are yours today," and I'm like, "Wait, wait a minute, wait, wait. What do you mean in my? <laughs> what, what am I supposed I do. to do with these kids, right? <laughs> you know." And I tell people, it's be like like trying to be a hockey goalie, keeping everybody in play, you That's know. Right. Um, and so I have the utmost appreciate appreciation for a wife who has a strong mindset to raise kids, man, because. I don't know if I could do it every day. See, I had I a reason you, not to be home. You know, there's so. no way that I can do it. I asked her every day, "Where do you put the pampers at? What do you do? What do you do? Why are they crying?" I yes, mean, yeah. they're old enough now where I can talk to them and I at least instill a little fear in them. But oh my goodness, yeah. It just it was. It, I'm, I'm I'm to your point. I'm super glad that my wife has a great handle on it because without her, I don't know where the heck I would be at. You see, and I, you're right about the grandparenting thing because when my two grandsons, uh, Luke and Cruz, see me, you know, they ask me, can I have this, can I have that? And especially with the younger one, Cruz, my daughter will go, Dad, this is your fault. And I tell my kids, I say, look, there's one thing I never lied to you about. I told you guys when you were teenagers, when you have kids, I'm going to break every rule you established. Right. I'm telling you that right <laughs> now. So you knew this was coming. Right. And don't so I, every chance I get, yes. Yes, and every chance I get, I'm breaking a, a breaking your rules. Now, so there's one more thing I want to talk to you about um, is your foundation. Can you tell us about your foundation, what it entails, and who it benefits? You know, you know, we started the Brown Westbrook Foundation, my wife and I, and we, there was a point, and, you know, when I bought, first bought my horse farm, we operated it as a business. Uh, we weren't making very much money, but we operated it as a business for the first 12 years that I had it. 
And then in 2017, I said, you know what? The Colin Kaepernick issue was kind of going around. And I was like, I'm just, I'm not, I said, I have the ability to help people. And right now we're not catering to the people that need the help the most. And so I kicked all the borders out. We had 30 borders. And I said, all right, I appreciate you guys' business, but now you guys got to leave. We have a bigger goal in mind. And so we kind of built the Brian Westbrook Foundation and the foundation goal was simple to empower, to educate, and to expose underprivileged children to, mm-hmm. to the world, to, to what we live in day to day. Um, and the, the true goal is to define what success is. And for our kids, so many of them believe that success is um, millions of dollars, gold chains, cars, houses. And to me, that, right. that could be success. But there's a different definition of success in my mind. Um, you know, a success could be someone that makes a million dollars a year and, and take care of all their family. Okay, cool. I can tell you what's not a success. You making a million dollars a year and you spending a million and one dollars a year. That's not a right. success. Um, the odds of our kids being football players, basketball players, baseball players, you know, doctors, it's not as high as we as we want them to be. And I think they're actually higher. You have a better chance of being a doctor and a lawyer than being a professional sports player. Um, So what I want to teach our kids is that, listen, you can be just as successful in life. And what I consider a success, making $50,000 a year, paying all your bills, living in a comfortable Mm -hmm. situation with all your bills paid and saving $5,000 a year. You're a success if you can do that. Now, how do I teach my kids that? Well, it's also my belief that our kids need to have better examples. How do we know that we now can be as minorities be be the president? Well, because we saw Barack Obama do it. That's how we know. Mm-hmm. And how are our kids going to know that they can be the president of Comcast? And how can they our kids going to know that they can own their own electrical company and and and, and uh, automotive shop? Well, I got to bring in people that do that. I got to bring in people and teach them that you know what you can go own your own electrical uh, company. So I'm going to bring in an electrician a guy that owns his own, that has six or seven other employees, owns his own business and makes good money for himself. And I'm going to have him talk to the kids. I want him to be the role model, not just Brian Westbrook. I want to be the role model of what a man should be, what a what a, yeah. what a good parent should be, not just a football player. I can tell you what made me a football player so that you can do that in your own world, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a great football player. That just means you're going right. to work hard, you're going to be disciplined, and you're going to be a... a, a a guy that's going to be willing to sacrifice to be successful. That doesn't mean you're going to be a successful football player. You can go use those same principles and be a, a great principal, a great teacher, a great plumber. And so what we do with our foundation is pretty simple. We want to bring these kids in. We want to teach them the hard lessons about life. Life ain't always pretty. It involves a bunch of work, mm-hmm. a bunch of sacrifice, and then a little bit of success. And you continue to try to build on those things. So we bring in those speakers. We bring in those electricians, those carpenters, those vocational people, so that even if you're not good at school, you still can be successful in something else with your hands. Um, we bring in financial people. So if you are good at school, but you want to go through financial stuff, we're going to bring those people mm-hmm. in so you can see how they became successful. They want to hear the stories. The kids are interested in the stories of these people. So we bring all those people in. We also bring in people that, that can help build your resume, that can teach you um, dinner etiquette. 
I mean, just imagine our young people going to a dinner. They've never been to a professional dinner before and they're grabbing and doing all this, that, and the other. Well, let me show you. This is where your napkin is at. This is where your fork is at. This is where your bread, your water. Right. Let me show right. you how you're supposed to conduct yourself. Let me put a suit on. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. And I think this is probably just as important. Some of our kids have taken a liking to some of the learning when they the financial guys come in. They, they want to be financial people. Okay, perfect. So when we talk to those guys before they even come in, I say, listen, we may have two or three students that want to be just like you. It's super important for me that you can either be one or two things. You can offer them an internship, they can work with you, or you can be their mentor. And if you can do that, then that's going to help these kids on a whole different level than just me mm-hmm. talking to them. You can give them an opportunity to fulfill something that they have never had. And a lot of these kids just want a chance. They, a lot of these kids have been complaining about well, I don't have a chance and nobody wants to believe in me. Well, let me give you a chance and let me give you the tools to be successful. And once I give you those tools and the opportunity, now it's it's upon you to go out there and do the right thing. And of course, we're going to check in on you. We're going to do right things and make sure that you're okay. And then once you're successful, this is how this thing works. You come back, you're 23 years old and you give back to the same program that helped you out. And that's how the circle of life is going to work. And now you are the young success story for these young kids. And they can follow in your in your footsteps. And so as we continue to grow this thing, um, it, it's just been a, it's been amazing to watch it grow. It's been amazing to watch our young kids develop and continue to uh, open up their mind to what they can actually achieve. I mean, our yeah. kids have been, unfortunately, so close-minded because of what they see. They see a ceiling. And I'm trying to yeah. teach them, like, listen, that ain't our ceiling. That's what you think in your mind. That's not where our ceiling is at. Our ceiling is way above that. We're trying to bust through that and we're trying to get to the next level. But it's going to take a certain amount of steps to be able to get there. And I want you to be prepared when you get that opportunity. That's what the goal of the foundation is all about. If more people want to find out about your Brian Westbrook Foundation, whether um, uh, inside information or to be a contributor, how would they go about it? You know, the, the best way, and we have a website, is bwestbrook.com. So that's B-W-E-S-T-B-R-O-O-K.com. The, the best way and easiest way is to email me directly. And, and you know, I've been really diligent about getting back to people and making sure that they can have as much information as they want about the program. Because, again, this ain't about Brian Westbrook. This ain't about me trying to take your money to put in my pocket. Right. This is about you right. literally taking your money and putting it in the hands of our children in form of yeah. knowledge and education. And that's what we want. Think about this, and I'll give you my email in one second, but this is important. I was talking to my boys one day, and I said, let me tell you something. Every time that we turn down opportunities to speak a good word to our young people, we are also saying we are willing for those young people to come and knock us in the head and take our car, to break into our house, to do those wrong things that we don't want. So we gotta make sure right. that we take advantage of every opportunity that we have to make sure that we instill the right things into our kids and we're going to drill it the same way that I drill my kids and they, they get tired of it. They don't want to hear it no more. But I know when they go out into the public, they're going to be a good representation of what we've instilled in them. That's what we're trying to do with the foundation. So I tell people that all the time. But the, again, the most direct way is just the email. It's Brian, B-R-I-A-N at bwestbrook.com. So that's B-R-I-A-N at B-W-E-S-T B-R-O-O-K.com. Again, I will get back to you as quickly as possible. And if you want to help these kids, if you want to come and talk to the kids, we welcome everybody. If you want to donate, we're welcoming that as well. We're just trying to make a better better tomorrow for our community. 
that's the most important thing. Man, you have had an outstanding career as an athlete. I'm even prouder of you since I've gotten to know you even better in your life after football. Uh, much respect to my end of you. I can't thank you enough uh, for being on this Gun on One podcast. He is number 36, Brian Westbrook. And you can find Brian Westbrook right now on First Things First on FS1. He also has the Brian Westbrook show on uh, 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. And he also does the Eagles pregame show. We do a three-hour pregame show together oh, yeah. 97.5 The Fanatic. Uh, Brian Westbrook, myself, and Devon Gibbons. Uh, man, I can't thank you enough, man. Uh, I have the utmost respect for you. And I, I, I just want to close in saying this. Uh, I, I'm surprised you sat here this long and talked to me because when you were a player, you know I was going to bring this up. I know. When you, when, when you were a player, and it still sticks in my craw, the first couple of years you were in the league, you were this nice, humble young man, talked to everybody. All of a sudden, as you became Brian Westbrook, exceptional NFL player, I would say, Brian, can I talk to you for a minute? D-Gun. I got to get my work in. I don't have time. D-Gun, uh, I'm busy right now. And I see you standing back in the corner, jaw jacking with your team. I was like, no, he didn't just turn me down like that. But now I get to sit next to you every week for three hours talking football throughout the football season. I've, get, I've had you sat here for over an hour talking about football and your life after football. And uh, it's almost like I finally won for once. Man, D-Gun, let me tell you something, man. I, um, as a player, I'm going to say this. My number one goal was to always allow my game to speak for itself. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I didn't want to go right. out there and tell people what they should expect. I wanted to listen, if you watch the game, you see what I can do, allow it to speak for itself. But I will tell you this, yeah. I've always had the utmost respect for you in, in a couple of different areas. You've always been professional. You always are doing the right thing. It was never no, you know, well, I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna do that. It was always, you did the right thing. And I think when I talk about the guys in that locker room, we talk about all the reporters, all the different people that we've had in and out yeah. of the locker room. And you've seen them all over the course of the year. Yeah. You're talking about an upstanding man. And, and, and listen, I, I can't say that about everybody, but it's good. You were right. a good man. And that's the most important thing for me. And, and as a young man, you, I'm, I'm, I was still, I was 22, 20. I'm still developing yeah. the person that I, that I want to be. So I'm still trying to yeah. figure it out. And, I, and I'll tell you this, and I never, I never will repeat it again, so you better appreciate it now. I, I appreciated what you've done in this business because when I came to Comcast, I talked to you, I talked to the different people, yeah. and I wanted to just get a gauge of how to do things. And I watched you, and I watched how you were professional. You prepared yourself. You always knew what you wanted to talk about. You delivered it in an eloquent way, and you were so professional. And I appreciate that. You've been a mentor to me on so many different Thank levels. You, man. That that, And this is the important thing that people just don't realize. People watch you all the time, all the time. Yeah. Whether you know yeah. it or not, people are watching you. And just the way you walk, the way you treat your the cameraman, the way you treat your producer, all those yeah. things are super important. And so when I go out and I'm doing these shows, especially 97.5 and even the Fox shows, I'm trying to be like Derek Gunn because people are- Wait, wait, say that again? I'm, what? Exactly. This is my last time saying it. I ain't going to never say it again. I'm trying to be like Derek Gunn because, and this is important to know. Because you yeah. did it the right way, and that's why you've gotten the response that you've gotten even after leaving NBC and Comcast. I appreciate you. I'm so glad to be able to sit next to you on Sundays. And more importantly than you, I appreciate your wife because she's a good woman to deal with your nonsense every dog all day. And thank you for the cookies, Mrs. Gunn. I appreciate you the most. 
<laughs> Man, let me tell you something. That, wo- that woman's a saint because I, I, I ain't gonna lie to you. Putting up with me is it's not just a job; it's an adventure. I ain't gonna lie about it. But man, thank you, man. You you almost got me emotional there for a moment, I man. And I really you, appreciate man. that, I appreciate man. You. I appreciate you. Thank you, and I, I, we, I'm, I'm keeping this clip because I may use it against you down the road somewhere. Because you're lying, you're lying down the road. Say you didn't say it, so I'm gonna have this clip to verify that you actually admitted this. But man, man, much respect, my brother. And you know how much how I feel about you. I love you, love and you too, I can't man. wait to keep talking football with you. And uh, he is the one, the only Brian Westbrook. And that this is conclusion of an, an awesome uh, Gun on One podcast brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. I can't thank you everybody out there enough for listening each and every week. I thank my man Brian Westbrook. And uh, as we close, as I tell you guys each and every week, you know, stay blessed out there. But more importantly, continue to be a blessing to everybody you encounter. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Gun on One is a production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.